Welcome to Lawler Out Loud, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christy Lawler, and this podcast focuses on highlighting the amazing men and women that make a difference in the world. And we hope to prove that every single person has the power to make a difference and make an impact. Today's guest is Anjali Kundra. So first, let me thank you, Anjali, for joining us today to share your story and your life experiences and all of your ideas. Thank you for having me. I can't believe we are recording this live at Sundance. Oh, that is really exciting. So this is my first live recording with an actual other human and not just over the phone. So I'm excited. Thank you for taking the time to do this. So let's dive right in. Um, tell us a little bit more about you. Like what makes Angeli Angeli? Sure. So I have always been kind of a black sheep, especially if you ask my Indian parents. I never fit in. I was not the best student for sure. And I was, you know, on the route, I think, in life to be a doctor or a you know, finance person, whatever it is. Um, but I could never really find my footing. And actually, in college, I discovered uh, the restaurant industry. And it changed my life, the people I met, and it actually allowed me to discover entrepreneurship. So as I had kind of evolved in college, jumping between majors, I ended <laughs> up realizing that there was one common denominator in everything I did. Because in college, I would seek out new experiences. I actually worked for an import-export house in Bombay. I interned on Wall Street, <laughs> which was yeah. crazy. And, you know, I was pre-med. I traveled ab abroad and was a uh, journalist in Berlin. Um, oh, my gosh. I didn't know all of yes. this about you. This, <laughs> well, this is, is awesome. College. This is in college. Yeah, but that's fun. <laughs> that's really a unique college experience. Most people just get drunk. Yeah. So, I, did, I did my yay. share of that, too. We'll get drunk and yeah, study, yeah. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so, you know, I think most people who would look at my journey, especially even in college, would look at this sporadic person that didn't really have a theme or motif to her life. And probably at many points in my life, even in that, you know, the college, I think the college years are the most formative years. You're mm -hmm. discovering yourself. And yeah. most people would look at that erratic behavior and be confused. And oh was no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that because you think about college, that's like your last chance to figure out who you are That's right. as you're emerging into adulthood <laughs> and you still kind of get some of your mistakes forgiven. Yeah. That's Whereas true. after college, you yeah. kind of got to straighten up, yeah. right? It's a buffer to reality. Yeah. I guess, I guess the, the problem was I continued this behavior post-college graduation. Oh, I did too. So you, you won't get any judgment from me. <laughs> but I'm in safe spaces here. Yes. Well, you know, eventually through, I, I ended up getting a master's in entrepreneurship and, at University of Florida and really found, I think, my soulmates. And they helped me reflect and look back at, quote, unquote, the erratic behavior um, and made me realize there was one common theme in everything I did. And in addition to curiosity, it was really trying to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And that process of becoming, uh, taking two resources that no one else thought had value and bringing those two things together or multiple things together and creating new value was just a, a whole nother level of fulfillment that I actually realized I received as I was going through all these different journeys. Yeah. From undergrad to a lot of the internships I did. You know, even after graduating from undergrad, I remember it was a recession and I told my parents, hey, I can't find a job. I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, 
bum around. I might go be a bartender in Europe or whatever. And finally, uh, I mean, finally I found this path in, in entrepreneurship, but I completely forgot where I was at. <laughs> I had a point, I swear. <laughs> no, so, that's fine. You you bounced around. You discovered through your wanderlust yes. what what really made you tick, what got you out of bed in the morning, what got you excited to do what you were going to do. And I know that you've kind of fallen into this space in some sort of way. Like it was deliberate, obviously, yes. but it was happenstance. So definitely. And I can doing talk what that. you're doing. Yeah. I mean, what kind of, I, I want to hear more about that inspiration. Sure. Definitely. Because I think that's been a huge trajectory. Definitely. So as I mentioned, I, my first real job was working at a restaurant and I fell in love with industry there. And at the same time, I actually got involved with tech uh, for, you know, pretty early on, thanks to my brother, Nick, who, you know, at the age of eight was ordering $5,000 computers with my mom's credit card and breaking them down and just knew everything about technology. He forced us to get iPhones back when they first, you know, 2006, whenever they came out. <laughs> and eventually, you know, at family holidays, we'd have a, a genius bar, if you will, at our house. So I had these two interesting tracks of technology and food and beverage, uh, along with this passion, right, to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And so I was actually working in Gainesville, Florida at a tech company in a really unsexy vertical, higher education. And we were making Facebook apps for roommate matching, mm-hmm. which was an, actually, we were the part of the Founders Fund. We were one of the first Facebook applications, and it was really my first foray into tech. And uh, I was actually deciding to, you know, leave that uh, transition and uh, leave higher ed to pursue a world, <laughs> a life of passive income with my now husband and, you know, build. He had built an amazing passive income company and we had these dreams to just travel the world and which you do which I do already I guess yes. yeah <laughs> you're always somewhere like always on Facebook or Insta you're always somewhere both of you yeah. exactly and so uh through uh, while I was supposed to go ahead and do that my brother ironically enough he was you know on his way to med school I told him to come to Gainesville Florida for a year to do this entrepreneurship program that I had done that had changed my life instead of sitting in a lab and doing research before med school. And so he came and we had a bit of overlap in Gainesville, Florida. And ironically, he was, there was something called a hackathon. I think our food and beverage industry definitely needs these hackathons. Mm -hmm. It's basically a weekend where people get together, come up with a bunch of problems and ideas and actually build them out over the weekend and present them to judges and get investment by Sunday. And so my brother decided to go to one of these hackathons and Friday night, him and his friend just couldn't think of a good idea. So what did they do? They decided to go get a drink at the local watering hole because they knew a few of the bartenders there. And um, they were trying to actually meet up with the bartenders after the bar closed, but the, uh, the bartender said they, they couldn't meet up because they had to do inventory Mm -hmm. and uh, they would have to be there until 7am. Yeah. Inventory sucks. Yeah. I was a bar bartender, bar manager. I hated inventory <laughs> so much. 
it is it is the bane of most people's existence. Yeah. And it's one of those unsexy, right? It's like such an it's, unsexy It's thing. the dirty underbelly of yeah. bartending. Yeah. Everything else is fun. And then there's inventory, <laughs> which is just not fun. And we'll definitely talk about my thoughts on inventory and how it's misunderstood and the opportunities to really succeed by, you know, watching your numbers and all that in, uh, in a few minutes here. Mm -hmm. But what ended up happening that weekend is my brother built what is now today Partender. He built the prototype of Partender in that weekend. And his team actually won the, uh, oh, that's they awesome. won the hackathon. And that moment changed his life. Like yeah. here we are today. You know, first company since Facebook to have both the Zuckerbergs and the Winkle Westwinds back on the same team. We've grown extremely fast. Yes, and... you have. <laughs> Global domination. Yeah, yeah. It's totally in your path <laughs> ahead. <laughs> and I'm, I feel fortunate because my brother has always been a scientist, always so great at just hyper-focus. Obviously, I am the, the other opposite where I just need to absorb everything and due to my experience in tech and hospitality, he actually asked me to join me in this journey. So right after the hackathon, no one else wanted to join. And he just filed IP and almost dropped out of grad school at that point. Um, had to break the news to my parents that he would not be going to med school, which was uh, fun. I don't know if they still blame us or they think we're degenerates. <laughs> I'm sure they're really proud. How could you not be? Yeah. And yeah, here we are today, uh, over 15,000 venues worldwide. We're in over 30 countries. We work with everyone from Nordstrom to you know, your local watering hole because really, you know, counting your liquid cash is so important. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because in our industry, it's always taken so long to do mm -hmm. and people just don't do it anymore. And, you know, you look at why can't we give PTO to our uh, employees? Why can't we buy a new piece of equipment. And I know there's, I know this is such a complex topic and many people have different things to say, but when I look and see that there's $28 billion of missed opportunity, missed sales, because someone just doesn't have the time to count yeah. their liquid cash, their hundreds of thousand dollars in liquid cash. Yeah. You know, that's a problem. And that's an exciting problem because that's actually solvable. Because yeah, you have the solution. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I know we're on audio here, but Partender is truly a beautiful visual tool and it helps restaurants and bars do their inventory ordering, accounting, uh, beverage innovation in mm -hmm. minutes versus hours or days with a few taps and swipes. And I'm going to put the link pocket. in the bio too. So people okay. can go straight to your website because I, I'm a believer, obviously I'm, I'm really excited about it. And from what I do on my perspective with tracking compliance metrics, like that's huge that I'm able to get a real time look and I ask all of my clients, I'm like, are you using Partender? Because if you're not, I'd love to introduce you. <laughs> because I see the benefits just on my small window of what I'm doing. So I know that to the operator, no matter if you're a chain or a single location, there are ripple effects. And there are so many benefits that build on each other. And it's one of those things where... If you're not taking advantage of something that simplifies and uh, really tells you how much money you have right, right behind your bar, right. then you're missing an opportunity. And and I hate it when people miss opportunities, obviously. <laughs> that's such a great way of saying it, right? You know, every problem is an opportunity. Yeah. And that's an ethos that we 
encompass, I think, as an entrepreneurial community. Mm-hmm. But even in our own day-to-day of our food and beverage operations, trying to look at those problems as opportunities, you don't have to keep doing keep doing the same thing you've always done. You're always going to get what you've always gotten, right? Yeah, like that's, exactly. We, see, we hear a lot of people say that. And I think it's always hard to execute and kind of change your behavior. So for me personally, I feel this almost personal responsibility and passion in our industry of changing the way that we all think. I have to yeah. change my thought process all the time and kind of my beliefs and question myself. But really going back to something like inventory, right? We think, oh, it's just this terrible, unsexy thing. What does it even do? We don't, you know, people don't even do their inventory. They have some bartender do the inventory. Mm-hmm. And not to say anything about the bartender, but it's more of like a fiduciary responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about it, would you only count the cash in your register once a month? Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. You're counting yeah. your liquid cash that's worth $50,000, $100,000. When you start thinking about how much potential revenue, it's a whole other ballgame. So how can we actually go ahead, figure out this inefficiency, empower everyone? Because I think a problem with inventory also, I feel like a spokesperson for inventory, <laughs> but the problem with this idea of inventory, besides folks not really understanding maybe the power of it for them, is it's always coupled with theft. You know, when we have people come approach us and say, okay, I need bartender. People are stealing from me. I need to catch my thieves. And we'll say, look, you know, if the first assumption you're making making is people are are stealing from you. Yeah. But they could just be poorly trained and overpouring. Exactly. It could be that simple. So what we say is, look, that's a cultural issue. But if you have a, you know, we want you to have a strong culture. We want you to empower your team. We want you to have the transparency so you can hold everyone accountable. Right? Yeah. Accountability is empowerment. That's yeah. the crazy thing. Yeah. That's something that we kind of gloss over. And so I know I'm lucky back in the day in Gainesville, the restaurant group I used to work with, Dragonfly Forever in, you know, Orlando or Miami or Gainesville, go Gators. But they used to, you know, we were in a group of transient college students, but they had yeah. one of the best retention of employees that you would find. It's because so much of the empowerment that they would give. One time I walked into my, you know, I'm the idea person. I walk into my GM's office and he'd be like, oh, I, I, I pitch him my idea. And he's like, okay, don't talk about it. Um, actually do it and like propose something to me. Let's actually, let's set up an experiment. Let's see if this yeah. works. And then same thing in the way they would unify all of us. They would have something in the back that said, hey guys, you know, if we can actually hit this goal of, food cost or mm-hmm. beverage cost, we're going to take everyone out. And you know what? It's If we have to close the business, then that's fine. Because we have to change the way that we think about cost. We have to think mm-hmm. about return of investment. Yeah. If we invest in training, if we invest in tools, if we invest in just, you know, talking for a few minutes to our employees and doing one-on-ones, mm-hmm. what does that actually result in? Yeah. Right? If you look at Tony Shea, Delivering Happiness, the Zappos model, a lot. Of, if you haven't read the book, Delivering Happiness, I highly recommend it. Tony Chase, brilliant person, but a lot of Zappos' success, and remember, they were sold for a billion dollars to Amazon, and like I think um, a lot of it was stock 15, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact yeah. date. But, you know, that's incredible, obviously, from a Silicon Valley exit perspective, but if you've ever gone to the Zappos headquarters, and we were lucky to do that through the Vegas Tech Fund, we talked to people, and they love Zappos. Yeah. How can you get everyone to love if everyone can love your company and make it their own, you know, I feel like you'll succeed. Even in our restaurant, I didn't have equity. I didn't have profit sharing, but somehow our organization, because they invested in me, they took me to food shows. They took me to leadership conferences as an hourly. Yeah. But guess what? Every time I walked in that restaurant, if I saw 
a like a table that was messy, it would have hurt me inside. <laughs> like I would want to go and it was mine. You yeah. know, I had the sense of ownership. And so, well, that's the culture they yeah. created. Yeah. And, yeah. And so to go back to inventory and go back to tools, like there are ways where we can build this ownership. We can build this feeling of loyalty and, you know, let's give time back to our employees. There's so much shit that we fucking do right now where it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. And it's because we think, oh, we need to cut costs, but we don't realize, hey, if we invest, you know, $5,000 today, does that make us a million dollars in five years? Yeah. And with inventory in general, and especially when you're able to do it fast and accurately with Cartender, you can literally track the ROI of that. Yeah. But guess what? When you buy a fancy plant or a half a million dollar sofa, which one of my clients told me they did, <laughs> um, sofa set. It was oh a set. Oh my God. You know? That's hilarious. But you know, what is the ROI of those expenses? And I think we're so used to there isn't spending so much money on our build outs and our plans. And, and I don't disagree with any of that. Like, you know, it is the age of Instagram and everything, but if you're really just, you know, even if you're super successful, if you're making a ton of money, you're like, mm-hmm. I don't need to do inventory. I don't need to count my, my cat liquid cash. Well, a say you don't need to count your cash in the register. At least let's be, con- you know, consistent yeah. about it. Yeah. But <clears throat> realize that, Hey, if I could be making an extra million dollars more every year, like who doesn't want that? Yeah. Right. And that's the, that's the interesting thing I find in our industry is people, even when there's a guaranteed return, it's still more about the investment. Yeah. And and then in the investment, I'm not just saying in a software tool and a service, really we're like consultants at part tender. It's not just that it's in any kind of investment of time or money. And I understand we are, again, I'll say our industry says we have small margins, but I ask you, I implore you to go up. Is that a word? Anyway. (laughs) Implore? uh, It's like on the tip of my tongue. Damn it. You're good. I was never good at SAT uh, vocabulary. Anyway, just to, you know, build up, kind of bring that back in like 10 seconds is how can we, um, I implore you, that's the word. I implore you to look and question yourself and Mm -hmm. look around and see, you know, can I do better? Can I capture back? even 1% of that $28 billion of lost revenue in the U.S. alone. And realize it's not theft. It's not these things. It's a lack of transparency. Yeah. Right? So sometimes it's just the POS button is wrong. I'll tell you, 99% of the time I've been called on site, someone is stealing from us. And I look look at, you know, what's going on. Because all you have to do is just listen and emulate the behavior. If you're an executive and you can't figure out what's going on, and you probably do this, but Go, go bartender wash dishes for a day in one of your stores. Yeah. You'll be floored to see what you find. And also, if there is a problem that you face often, one kind of toolkit piece that you can take home today is, you know, the next time you face a challenge, go ask someone that you wouldn't normally ask. You might be surprised. Yeah. Because all our perspectives are different. Anyway. Who was it that said, ask the, um, he always asked the laziest person on the team because they're going to find the quickest way to get it done. Oh, I love that. That's usually me. I remember <laughs> working in my restaurant and imagining, I was like, there has to be a robot that can do this. <laughs> and this was like the years before. Yeah, there has to Roomba. be a faster way. Oh, yeah. I love my Roomba. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell me, um, if you weren't doing this and you could do anything, I'm, I'm guessing your wanderlust would take over. Yeah. Um, but what would you what would you do? How would you fill your days? Yeah, actually, if I've thought about this, and I think curiosity will always fuel me. I can't be even if I you know had a billion dollars tomorrow, and you know 
I think I would, I, I actually talked to my husband about this. I'm so fascinated with just how the world works. I wanted to start something called like intern for a month mm-hmm. and just go and, you know, do everything random from like, yeah, bartend in a random Europe bar or like uh, definitely traveling the world, any kind of, I don't know, I would love to go work in on Wall Street actually and see what that's like. And my, the biggest common denominator would probably be meeting as many people yeah. that I could because I believe that every single person you meet changes you and teaches yeah. you something. And we are off, you know, often as humans are so dogmatic, but really we're so influential yeah. and to be aware of that. So yeah, as I would spend my days You're reading. really good at figuring people out too <laughs> and asking people questions and you're very inquisitive and you're engaging and just like when I'm around you, I enjoy hearing what you have to say. I think you're a very dynamic thinker. And <laughs> I'm erratic. No, <laughs> hey, erratic is good. <laughs> Who needs to be normal and boring? Like for sure, you get one shot. You might as well just yeah. do you. Who cares? Yeah. Um, um, well, but yeah. That's, other, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. One other dream of mine is to go to space. I'm actually obsessed with this TV show called The Orville or Orville. It's by Seth MacFarlane. Everyone should watch it. I know Brian and Chrysler would love this shout out. Uh, and so would Frank from AMC. But <laughs> <laughs> it's basically about, it's basically Star Trek for our generation. So it's Star Trek meets Family Guy meets Black Mirror. And the just the social implications are brilliant. But I'm going to have very, to check the show yeah, out because that's gonna, a really weird mashup yeah, of shows. <laughs> I think because, you know, I look at my life and I feel that there's really core principles that drive them. Every single person I meet or if I can influence people, I want us to all have more empathy. How can we all have more empathy? Even yeah. if it drives us crazy. I went to, and I'll give you an example of, you know, someone who's really inspirational of, of that core value that I met in the last few years. I went to Israel with Forbes and the Schusterman Foundation in 2018. And there was one, uh, you should look up Reality Israel. It's an incredible leadership program changes your life. But anyway, uh, when we were in Israel, everyone in our group, uh, you know, was from all over the world. And there was actually one fellow who was uh, Muslim. And, you know, it's obviously a polarizing topic to be out there in the Middle East. Me personally, I think we're all just pawns. And <laughs> we're all the same, really. Yeah. Uh, but, and I know others will disagree, but it was fascinating. I was asking him like, you know, how, when we were out there, because we met again in Boston, how are you able to just sit and actually listen? Because so much, I think a lot of times we can't listen to each other because emotions get the best of us. Yeah. And that's what he said. He's like, you know, it's crazy to think. I I was so enraged or, you know, some emotion would come over me and I had to remember, hey, like just take take that out of it and just truly making make this a learning experiment. Mm-hmm. So if we can all be more empathetic, I think that'll be a, a win for humanity. Yeah. And could actually help, you know, reduce a lot of the conflicts and everything we see. Um, so part of the reason I try and I want to learn from everyone is that empathy piece. And mm-hmm. making people realize, too, that, you know, so much of what we say, like, at part gender, we have a core value. How you say something is more more important than what you say. Yeah. Right? I would agree. And I think that is such an overlooked, like, tool. Yeah. Because even if I say, hey, Christy you're irresponsible, right? Now we're going to like have a fight about me saying that to you. 
say, hey, Chrissy, you know, I really feel like I can't rely on you anymore uh, because you came late to work. Mm-hmm. That's such a different conversation because yeah. we're all entitled to our own intentions, right? Yeah. Like, I can't tell you what your intention was. I can't, I'm not in your brain. But it's but I can the way you, you're making someone feel. But I can tell feel. you how you made, yeah. made me feel. And same thing, like, you're entitled mm-hmm. to that intention. So I think we all need to do a better job as humans to remember that dynamic of intention. And we're feeling. all just getting out of bed and trying to yeah, instead of, pay rent. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And so, yeah. So anyway, those are like two of the drivers I feel of my life and how I try to approach people. But yeah, hopefully I'll make it to space. That would be amazing. Well, I wish you good luck Thank on you. that. Elon Musk, if you're listening, I did apply. <laughs> you have a candidate. Actually, Richard Branson, I applied for Virgin Galactic in high school, but I never got a call Of course back. you did. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. So, uh, so I ask everybody if they have any regrets, um, anything you wish you could go back and change or something that you've learned that you would do differently in the future? Yeah, definitely. I think I love learning so much now. And then I look back at, you know, a time in my life where I had, I had, I went to the most amazing high school and middle school. My parents really believed in education and I didn't take it seriously enough. Mm. And I wish that maybe it was the system, maybe it was me, but you know, I wish I actually took all that seriously to learn it. And even Mm. the things that I, you know, I did, you know, I did succeed or excel in certain subjects, but it was always just to get the grade. Yeah, It wasn't to actually learn and ask questions and open my mind. You were there to check a box. Yeah. yeah. And so I wish, I wish if I could go back, I would tell younger me, Hey, like absorb all this. Cause it's priceless. Yeah. Um, and then I would definitely, I wish I could actually, uh, learn programming. I mean, I can do that today, so that's fine. Um, so in the future <laughs> you're going to learn programming. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, there's an excellent, uh, Netflix documentary series called explained. I highly recommend watching it. Mm-hmm. They do an excellent episode on coding and actually Carly Kloss is, she's part of, she's like the narrator. Um, but that actually re- just reignited me and excited me about, you know, I work in tech every day, but there's so many like core pieces to it. I feel like I don't yeah. understand. Um, so yeah, just, I think being less of a brat and an asshole to my parents when I was <laughs> in middle school and then <laughs> learning, oh my God. learning more. But I think, you know, when you look back at your life and you see Steve Jobs talks about this. You look back and kind of reflect and see how I got here. And that's only when you can start connecting the dots. Yeah. So I think you can immediately regret something. Like I know I have friends who are in really terrible places, but that terrible place got them to this amazing phase of their life. Yeah. They would have never gotten to if they didn't go through that pain. No, you don't learn anything from the successes. You learn from the failures and the mishaps and the the barriers. Yeah. And even with bartender, like I know one of the things that, you know, Nick, Nick was driven to entrepreneurship because he was just going through something like personally yeah. that was painful and, you know, bartender kind of came out of that also. That yeah. Time. So, um, what would you want people to know about you? Say random stranger on a street. What would you want them to know? I would want them to know that I want to learn about them. Teach me something. That's awesome. Yeah. And that I'm willing to have an open mind and sit down with you. Yeah. But you really, yeah. To hear people. I want to hear you. That's awesome. And, you know, even as like liberals always, I always tell all my liberal friends, I'm a liberal, like, hey, you know, we can't say that we're open-minded and progressive when you you can't just cherry pick. Mm -hmm. If you just think it makes us uncomfortable, 
sit down and be open-minded. Yeah. Uh, if you call someone stupid, guess what? You're not as fucking open-minded. <laughs> You're not as evolved as don't, you think don't, you don't are. Don't say that people are uneducated, whatever that is. Like, I just think we need to, again, do a better job empathizing. And I would want to make sure people That's knew true. that they could. You never know someone's me. path. Yeah. Or how we all think. Like, there's no one yeah. you can learn. Um, I've actually gotten really big into spirituality the last few years since Israel. I'm not, like, very religious or anything. But a lot of the things I rejected just as a child. Yeah. Taking you know, like, more like in. Like, the secret and, yeah. you know, just trying to be more open-minded. Because even I thought I was so open-minded. It's like that uh, that movie Long Shot where mm-hmm. I think it's Seth yeah. Rogen. Seth he's like, Rogen. He's the epitome of that you know, the hypocritical yeah. open-minded person. And it's a great movie. You guys should definitely see it. It's hilarious, you're... actually. Yeah. I loved it. It's um, so uh, how can people reach you? Because I'll put in <clears throat> I'll put in your um, yeah. website in your link. But definitely. So how do you want people to reach out? Yeah, you can reach out on Twitter. And hopefully we can put that uh, in, yeah. in the comments, too. But yeah, Twitter or Instagram. And you can also email me at angelie at partner.com. I love talking about anything, especially recent topics are simulation theory, philosophy. Um, and actually, I'm really interested in molecular gastronomy. That's something. No, it's a fascinating. Yeah, I tried to learn it. From, or I was trying to ask one of my culinary friends about it first. And he's like, why don't we just master like basic techniques before? <laughs> That's funny. Walk so, before you run. Yes. Yeah. We're all about, and that part time we're all about crawl, walk, run. So, right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being yeah. a guest on my show. And I'm glad we were able to do this live and yes. in person. It's so much more fun to interview <laughs> someone face to face. Um, and thank you for supporting the witty group and, and sharing everything with us. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to have you as a guest. Thank you, Christy. Absolutely. I, I'm grateful for witty and yeah. Thanks for having me today. It's yeah. Awesome. And thank you all for tuning in to Lawler Out Loud, mixing up the mainstream. <laughs>